Welcome to the Ollie and Debbie of You podcast, Get to Know Each Other. This is Michelle, and I'm your host for this episode. Today, we are talking with Clark McKee, who has been an Ollie member in Morgantown for going on five years. In this episode, Clark and I discuss his first date with his wife, his time working as a student trainer at WVU, his volunteer work, and wherever else those subjects led us. Thanks again to Clark for agreeing to come on the podcast with me, and I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Hello, and welcome to the Ollie Getting to Know Each Other podcast. My guest today is Clark McKee. Welcome, Clark, and thank you for joining me. Hello. You're, you're welcome. I have a bunch of questions to ask you today, but let's jump right into a personal question. So you and Allison, how long have you been married? Let's see, 51 years in June. Wow, congratulations. So how'd you two meet? It was an interesting story. Um, we met on a blind date. Really? Yeah. My one of well, I lived in a house with three other guys, and one of the guys was dating a, la a lady that lived with the, in the dormitory where Allison was. Mm -hmm. And they they got talking. They said we're going to fix Clark and Allison up with a date. So we both said okay. We decided we were going to go bowling, but that back then I didn't have a car. So one of the guys in the house had a car and he said, well, I'll drive you. So he picked us up and we went bowling and Allison that night could not miss the pins at all. And I could not hit any, any of them. <laughs> and the guy that was driving us just thought that was hilarious. And to this day, he doesn't let me forget that because he's still around, but Allison Did still feels bad about it. Can she we still beat you at bowling? That. She never beat me again, but that, oh. that one night she did. <laughs> so, so she got that one out of the way. And then um, actually after that, the year after that, I, I did get a car. It was kind of, it could be kind of interesting. It was a uh, 1939 uh, Chevy sedan. Mm -hmm. A funny story on that. My parents lived in Wheeling. And we drove up in one, one weekend in the, that car. And it was before the interstate also. We mm -hmm. came back and came through Mount Morris and right there at the corner, you turned by the bank. On Sunday evening, all the people in Mount Morris sat out in front of the bank and were talking. So we came down there and we went to turn in front of the bank and just as we turned, the horn sh shorted out in the car and it, it beeped and all, all the people on, at front of the bank waved and we just waved back and kept on going down the road. But did it keep right beeping that, the whole time or did it just beep once? It just beeped about three or four times <laughs> and it quit. But then about half a mile down the road, it started beeping and wouldn't quit. And about that same time, a cloud burst came and it was just pouring down the rain. So I had to jump out of the car and get under the hood and try to unhook the horn while it's pouring down. It was, it was funny. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it wouldn't have kept beeping if it wasn't raining. <laughs> right. Because that's sure. how those things go. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you studied animal science. You spent most of your working career, I believe, in like management. So how did how did you get from point A to point B there? Well, I studied animal science with the intent to go to veterinary school. Mm -hmm. And along the way, I found out that your grades had to be better to get in veterinary school than they did to get in medical school. I think that's still and true. Mine weren't quite that good, but I also was in ROTC in college. Mm -hmm. And when I graduated, of course, I went in the service for 
my two and a half year, oh, it ended up being two, it was supposed to be two, it ended up being two and a half. Actually, I ended up working for the dental surgeon, which was started part of the, and during that time, we, uh, I was the liaison officer between the dental clinic and the construction contractor on the new dental clinic, so. Oh, okay. So when I came back, my father was an attorney, so I thought, well, when I came back, I would just try to go to dental, uh, law school. Mm-hmm. That was during the Vietnam era, and by the time I got out of the service and came back, everybody in the world decided they wanted to go to law school, so <laughs> no waiting list was way long, so I went back to get an associate degree in business administration to try to get my grades up a little bit, and, that, and when I graduated from that, things weren't any better, so I started looking for a job, and I ended up working for um, Bauer Lumber out in Saberton. Mm-hmm. They hired me as assistant manager. And at that time, I didn't know the difference between a two before and a toothpick. But <laughs> over the years, I, I learned some stuff there and um, ended up going. Well, a friend uh, was working out here at Pineview Supply and said, you know, why don't you come to work for us? We, we need somebody. And I went over there. And then after a couple of years, another friend said was working for Lowe's. And they said, well, we really need some more salespeople and stuff like that down Fairmont. Why don't you come and interview for it? So I ended up down there and ended up staying 18 years down there. So well, that's not bad at kind all. Kind of a roundabout way, but that's and they used the guys down there used to kid me and said, "Well, you got your degree in animal science and you're not using it." And I said, "Well, last time I checked, you guys were animals." <laughs> So wait, were you, you and Allison were married um, when you went off to do your stint in the military? Yeah, um, well, yeah, I was commissioned in February of uh, 1970 and went to training school down in Texas, Fort Mm -hmm. Sam Houston, came back, my duty assignment was going to be in Virginia, and we got arranged to have it, to get married in between, actually, I started the week in Virginia the week before we got married. And took a, a week off to get married. What branch were you in? I was in the medical service corps. For the army? Yeah, in the army. Yeah, and I mentioned I worked for the post dental surgeon. Okay, mm-hmm. now now it all ties back together now for me. Yeah. I got a little confused. <laughs> he was he was really a good guy. He uh, he took me under his wing and watched out for me, made sure I didn't make any big mistakes. And, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you said you were an office person for him, or I got. I was I an administrative officer for and, the dental okay. detachment. I I was a first lieutenant by then, and all the new dentists coming in were captains, <laughs> and they thought they could tell me what to do. And I said, "No, that's not the way it works." <laughs> a lot of them would come in at that time. They had long hair, mm-hmm. and first sergeant and I were in the same office, and we'd both get to talk to him before the colonel talked to him. And we actually the day before. So we, we'd both tell the new dental off, uh, officers that they should get a haircut before they saw the colonel. The next day they'd come in, they hadn't got a haircut and they went and see the colonel. And the colonel would say, I didn't uh, Lieutenant McKee and First Sergeant Henderson tell you to get a haircut? They said, yes. They said, why didn't you do it? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of fun. Well, funny story with that, I pulled duty over at the post uh, hospital, mm-hmm. Wood Army Hospital on 
a rotation basis during the week and then on weekends. But first time I went over there, the Sergeant Major, he, he's above really a first sergeant, went in to meet him and he was old enough to be my father. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was telling me things about how to do it and all this and all that. When he got done, I said, yes, sir. Thank you. He said, no, no, no. He said, you don't call me, sir. He said, I got stripes on my shoulder. You don't call me, sir. He said, I worked hard to get those stripes. You call me Sergeant Major. And he got, he went on and berated me for about a half an hour. And when he got done, I almost said, yes, yes, Sergeant Major. I almost said, yes, sir, again. I didn't want to go through that again. You said you were a student trainer and you had some interesting stories about that? Yeah. My junior year, well, my dad was a football trainer for a the high school team well I actually tried off the high school in Wheeling mm-hmm. for like 40 some years so when I came to the, to the uh, I had some background from him some you know training and stuff but he said well why don't you go down and introduce yourself to Whitey Gwynn Whitey Gwynn was a world famous trainer mm-hmm. and he was with W he trained Olympic teams and Pan, Pan American game teams and all the teams at the university. So I went down and introduced myself. He sure I can use student trainer. So he took me under his wing too. And that was about the time that uh, Jim Carlin came to, to coach the uh, university team mm-hmm. back in the mid sixties. One of his assistant coaches was uh, Bobby Bowden. Oh, okay. And Bobby, he was a pretty neat guy. But also the uh, backup quarterback on the, the WU team at that point was Joe Joe Manchin. Really? And yeah, being student trainers, we had to tape the football team's uh, ankles before before practice. Yeah. Actually, Carl Cornell was a uh, all American linebacker for the WU then, mm-hmm. and he always he, I was hoping he would never come to me to have his ankles. Ta- they were the worst ankles to tape in the world. For some reason, he liked the way I taped his ankles, and he came to me every time. And I thought, oh man! But did he just like it super tight, or did he have like really strangely shaped ankles? You, or his ankles were so differently formed that you could not make the wrap tight, no matter how you tried it. I always had gaps where I wasn't supposed to have gaps and all that. But I would just hope, I just hope he would go to somebody else, but he never did. And actually, <laughs> well, he Joe must not have minded. Joe Manchin would come to me and have him, me tape his ankles too. That was interesting. He, he was an interesting personality back then too. How so? Just some of the ways he would treat the other players and why why he would talk to him and the camaraderie they kind of had between themselves. They joke a lot and things like that. But it was interesting. A whole different persona than what he has has now. To me, it seemed like. So wait, so when your dad, your dad was the football coach, did you play football or did you just do training stuff with him? Um, no, he was a trainer, but. Oh, he was a I, trainer. I, I did try the freshman football at, uh, in high school, but uh, at that point I was too, I was too small. I, was, I only weighed 125 pounds soaking wet, but it, <laughs> it didn't work too good. In the one practice they put me on, uh, middle guard mm-hmm. and back then the helmet some most of the helmets didn't have face guards on them and I was playing middle guard and right on the other side of the center in this one play 
the center came up and caught me with his elbow right in the middle of my forehead. Oh. And it knocked me out. I was laying on the ground. I said, what happened? He's, the coach says, we're going to let somebody else play middle guard. <laughs> my, my helmet didn't have a face guard on it. And it, it didn't work out too well. I always was hoping I was fast enough I could run faster than they could. <laughs> I don't think that's a really useful skill for a middle guard. Is it? No. <laughs> I'm just running away from something them. like that or a halfback would have been, but not the middle guard. You talked about um, volunteering or working at the youth work camps around the country. Was that, is that, was that a volunteer thing that you and Allison do or did or past present? Yeah, we well, we got involved with the, the church youth group with mm -hmm. another couple and uh, traveled around you know, to different work camps across the country. And when I was at one of the work camps, one of the people that ran the thing, I found out my background was in building material. Mm -hmm. After that camp, she got back in contact with me, said, would you like to be a, uh, what they called it then was a troubleshooter, which later became a uh, site coach, but uh, they would go around to the different sites. They, these work camps had like 40 to 50 different work sites with different various products. And some of the crews came from all over the country with no experience at all. And they needed, every once in a while, needed somebody to kind of help them figure out what they needed to do. And actually, I started doing that and traveled around. Some of the times when our youth group went out, went off with the camp guys and did the site coach. And sometimes I stayed with our youth group, but it was interesting. I actually spent uh, some time from all the way from Georgia to Vermont to Minnesota. To, actually, we did two camps in Elkins and actually two camps in Morgantown too. But So what did you build? They would do things, help people that needed things done at their home, like uh, decks or painting or, okay, you know, different things like that. But a church group could come in and do and hopefully usually get it done in a week. So do you do a lot of projects around your house now with all those skills that you picked up? No. <laughs> <laughs> Is Allison pleased or displeased about this? Actually, with my connections with the building industry, it sometimes work out better than me trying to do it. <laughs> okay, I can understand that. <laughs> and then if anything has anything to do with plumbing, I'm, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> but I do like I do like doing building things and do, working with my hands. There's something super satisfying about that. Yeah. And I would think that was what a lot of what you got out of your work camps, maybe? Well, I don't know. Yeah. It was just a sense of being able to help somebody. Yeah. But lots of the times when you help them, they would turn around and do something like you knew they couldn't afford it, but they would uh, make a dinner for the whole crew and things like that and just say to say thank you. And uh, lots of times you would feel like you were ministered to more than they were. So how have you been keeping yourself sane during the pandemic? Well, of course, originally we had no idea what we were going to do, but then we started hearing things about Zoom. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness for Zoom, because we do almost everything on Zoom now, from yeah. church to uh, all the classes to whatever, and even keeping contact with the family, too. Mm -hmm. we, we even did a 
a couple Zooms for our family rather than FaceTime. Because so yeah, Zoom has been. I think Zoom has been a savior for almost everyone, and in some ways, it's in some ways it's been kind of nice just because you get to see people somewhat face to face that maybe you didn't see because you live too far away. So that part's mm -hmm. been nice. The rest of it. Not so much. I just, I can't imagine what it would have been like 20 years ago if this would have happened. Really? Yeah. We would have been going stir yeah, crazy. We'd have been really stir crazy. Yeah, some of the, the people at church are all at home all alone, nobody with them. So Zoom really helps them connect with some people. Yeah. Safely without, you know, and keep some, some semblance of sanity. The existence of technology, like, you know, she can actually have her groceries delivered, just mm. order it in and have it sent right to her door. And that's kind of convenient. <laughs> it's going backwards in a way, isn't it? It seems like, yeah. Because yeah. I know my dad said they had a milkman when he was little. So. Yeah, we did too. I used to get a kick out of going out to get the milk bottle. <laughs> just getting the fresh milk or putting the old the old bottle back or both both yeah and it was actually glass bottles too so we had um we well uh, in Tridelphia we had a, a beef cattle farm but we had a neighbor that had dairy cattle mm -hmm. and we'd do some different things with between the two actually I went up there and worked on the dairy farm in the summers but I still got the uh, little metal milk can that we would take up and get a can of milk a couple times a week the, the best thing i liked was we'd pour the milk through the cooler and you could take a cup and catch it before it went in the can and drink the milk full that, whole milk that's something that i think people don't quite get anymore i mean well, i know some, that some but, people huh? some people can't deal with a berry as a butterfat that's like the best part <laughs> <laughs> If you're going to make ice cream, that's what you want for making ice cream. <laughs> right. Besides Zooming, have you have you and Allison been like reading or watching anything as a bit of an escape just to because it, it's been a, it's been a tough 10 months. Yeah, really. Um, actually, we've done some of the uh, exercise programs on on Zoom, uh, Silver Sneakers. OK. And uh, actually, we did the class this morning. It was Almost like uh, when we do the Active for Life at church, it's a group that comes together, what well, did come together before COVID. Yeah. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for an hour and exercise. And we really miss that uh, socialization there. But yeah, we're kind of able to replace it with uh, the silver sneakers. Same thing. But. And it is, it has been really nice in that I think people have been able to maybe get to things that they couldn't do in person like I, i'm thinking today when the if the roads were super crappy this morning or when the roads were crappy yesterday we didn't have to cancel anything you know mm. people could still do whatever because the roads weren't crappy i'm hoping that we'll be able to do a lot more virtual stuff on our winter term next year not that we don't want to have in-person stuff but just because a lot of people don't like driving in the winter actually i've got four three or four books started but i haven't well, I did finish one, but I have I got three more, three or four more that I've started. I haven't finished. But, what was it that you finished? Um, the one I finished was the longest winter. It was about uh, the Battle of the Bulge. Okay, who who and read then, that? Do you remember? If that you don't, don't remember, remember, it's okay. No, but 
I'm also reading another one, the, um, the, the Bitter Woods, which is also about the Battle of Baltimore. It was written by, uh, I don't remember his first name, but uh, it's Dwight Eisenhower, President Eisenhower's son. Okay. Which is pretty interesting. You have to put it down every once in a while. It's so detail-involved that sometimes, it, although it's interesting, it kind of puts you to sleep. So, <laughs> Yes. If you need need to go to sleep, that's a good book to read for a while. <laughs> Luckily, then, I don't have that problem. Thank goodness. <laughs> and then the other one, I'm really haven't finished, but I really want to, and I just seem to have had the time. It's called A Thousand Sisters, and it's a a book about the uh, Russian women fighter pilots. <gasps> oh, the the witches. I think the Germans I called think them the witches. Was one of them. Yeah, I think that was part of it. But yeah, it's. The whole platoon that was just women, and they were uh, fighter pilots yeah. during World War II. It's really, yeah, they really I had, involved. I read some sh- some some like short articles on them, and and they were they were fascinating. And yeah. I I think the Germans were terrified of them, and as well they should be because these <laughs> women got like the crap they they got the crappy planes, didn't they? You know the ones that yeah, barely stay were, in air. <laughs> like if you're gonna fly in a plane like that you aren't afraid of anything (laughs) when the men didn't want anything to do with them for a while then after a while they're they're working it around to where the women are in the same platoons as the men Mm -hmm. and some of them are doing better than the men yeah that frustrates the men but it's kind it's kind of interesting to read about it was good for them to be frustrated like (laughs) that (laughs) you know they, they didn't have any idea that you know women did all these things really yeah oh i know what it was it was a, it's a called i think fireline it's about the firefighters that got trapped in a uh, wildfire is that the more up. recent yeah in in the last three or four years i think it was or two or three yeah and they ended up getting getting killed and it's all about their story and their families and it's interesting but you have to put it down every once in a while to get I was going to say, you let your mind like, take a break. You read somewhat depressing things. Yeah. <laughs> like those things are important to know, but they can they can be rough to spend a lot of time immersed in World War II or big yeah. wildfires and things like that. Well, actually, so, the, the Battle of Bulge, what got me interested was uh, Allison's father had been in the Battle of Bulge. Did he actually talk about that or was he one of those people, that I, one of those men that didn't talk about it at all? And yeah. I think he was one of the ones that never talked about it at all. I never got to meet him. He oh. passed away before, actually way before I even met Allison. It kind of intrigued me. I wanted to read more about it. Actually, I think from what I've heard, Allison's father kind of had effects of what we'd call post-traumatic stress disorder from yeah. that. But that, that they didn't was, call it that then. But Yeah, it was it was shell shock in World War One, right? And I, I was believe, it yeah. battle fatigue in World War II? Is that what they called it? Or am I confusing sure. That it? sounds about right, but I'm not sure that's correct or not. I, I read lots of historical mysteries. And so that's how I pick these random things up. My last question for you is going to be, what is your best tip for making a world a better place? Because I think we need to end on a happy note. I just think you need to try to do your best to make people smile or leave them with a smile if you can which I try to do. Says the man who tells jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I think making people laugh is one of my favorite things to do. 
practice because I might not be able to make people's lives better in any other way, but at least if I can make them laugh a little bit, at least for that moment, things are a tiny bit better. So any closing words for me? Anything? I just appreciate spending time with you. Oh, I thank you so much for being willing to do this. Well, I want to thank you again for talking with me. This was, I really enjoyed this conversation. And was there anything else you wanted to add as we close? Any, any message to everyone? Any, no. any jokes or anything? Well, I just find some all the classes and come, come join us. Well, thank you again, Clark, for talking to us. I really appreciate it. You're welcome.